Father, God, this morning, Lord, and every morning, God, uh, truly, God, uh, your mercies are new. And, Lord, you don't look at us with eyes of anger or disgust, God, but love. Lord, you love us with an everlasting love, one that will never end, one that you showed at the cross, God, and uh, one that uh, you'll never turn back on. You'll never turn your back on us, God. You'll never leave us or forsake us, God. It's us who forsake you and leave you at every turn. God, help us to turn back to you, to turn to you, God. If we've known you for a while and haven't fully turned to you, God, help us turn to you this morning. God, the things we face, God, every day, but the things we face even this week, uh, this next month, God. But for the rest of our lives, God, whether we have another minute or we have 10 years or Lord, whatever you have for us, God, let us just seek you more and more, God, because you sought us and you seek us. God, you left the 99 to come find us. You came and you picked us up and you held us close and you said, it's okay. It's forgiven. It's taken care of. It's all gone. I love you. You're mine. God, you made us yours. We love you, God, because you first loved us. So God, speak to us this morning in your word, uh, but by your spirit, God, we need you to speak. We're glad that you do. We love you, God. Be lifted up. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. Uh, it's good to see you guys. It's good to be with you. and um, Truly, it's good that this week is Christmas. It's a little early. Next week's Christmas, but we've had a tree up since Thanksgiving, and I think last year the kids said Merry Christmas until about February, so I think we can get away with it. It's quite okay. Uh, so this morning, uh, especially because we're not meeting next week, we're going to have a, a, a Christmas message, uh, so you're off the hook next week. You can do whatever you want to do. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but seriously, you can do whatever you want to do. But we're not going to be in Genesis this morning, but uh, it's going to be more of a topical message, and it's titled, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Subtitle, Section 6, The Miracle of Christmas. You know, I've been considering this message for a while, and I even considered spending all of December on Christmas messages. Uh, but thankfully the Lord had other plans because <laughs> that's a lot of Christmas messages, but I'm sure they would have been good if God had led. But I, I initially thought this message was going to be just about the miracle of Christmas, that I was going to look at other miracles, we we're going to spend time looking at other miracles and then consider how Christmas is a miracle. But God uh, really shifted the focus to show that God is with us. God is with us. We hear that all the time. We hear the name Emmanuel, uh, and we know that it means God is with us, but I don't know if it really sinks into our hearts. I don't know if we've really let it settle into our soul and permeate the, the fatty flesh of our brain to know that God is truly with us. So much so that when it was prophesied, as we'll see, that God wanted to make sure we knew it, that his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. God did not want us to miss the point that he was with us, that all the other things are there as evidence that he is with us, that he is with us. And do you know that God is with you? He's with you. It's not like you have your wallet on you. Oh, I've got my wallet on me. My wallet is with me. You know, it's not like you've got your spouse with you or anything else that you carry with you, but he is with you. He's for you. He's not against you. And that's evident throughout all of the scripture throughout the entire bible you can read it and i think some people look at it and they read it and they don't really read it and they say oh well, look at the god of the old testament the god of the new testament they're different no they're not different and, and you know that and i know that but more than that they show that god 
has been with us and always will be with us. We see pictures of Christophanies throughout scriptures or uh, Theophanies, if you're a little too afraid to admit that Christ could somehow exist before he was born a baby, although that's evident in scripture. In Genesis 2 and 3, this one maybe not be an official one, but we see God in Eden. God planted a garden in Eden. I don't picture God in heaven throwing seeds and planting a garden. I picture God getting in the dirt and planting a garden. When he made man, he formed man out of the dirt. I don't think it was this like magic trick, you know, Disney's whatever. I think God got down and clumped the dirt together and formed man uh, a lot better than you and I might do at the beach when we make a sandcastle, and he breathed on it. And Adam became alive. And he took Adam and put him to sleep and took his rib out and made Eve. There is this personal connection there, even in Eden, as we saw. Um, and then even when man sinned, what was God trying to do at that time? God would come down and walk with them in the cool of the day. God would walk with them. And this wasn't just a figurative walk, I don't believe. It was God came down and walked with them in the garden. That's because God wanted to be with them. He created a place for them to meet together, where God, the eternal, existent, holy one, could meet with man who was made out of dirt, and yet somehow had the flesh of God, had the spirit of God in him, and they walked in the garden. And even when man, when Adam and Eve sinned, God was there. He fashioned them a covering, as we saw. He cast them out of the garden, but he said, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with you. Even though you've left, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. In Genesis 16, even to Hagar, uh, Abram and Sarai's handmaid, he appears to her in the wilderness and says, you know, I'm with you. Genesis 18, to Abraham and Sarai, when he promises them that they're going to have a child, God showed up physically and had a meal with them. But even more so, God was always stopping at Abram's on the way to go see the evidence against Sodom and Gomorrah for himself. He wasn't satisfied to sit in heaven and hear a report from his servants, but he went down to go see for himself before he brought judgment. God was not going to just take it on hearsay on some uh, intelligence brief, but he had to go down and see for himself before he judged people. God was not going to destroy them without giving them the benefit of the doubt. Even though he knew, he still went down. He still went down to a people who wanted nothing with him. In Genesis 11, when, uh, same thing with Babel. God comes down to confuse their language. He comes down to see what's going on. He doesn't just strike lightning. He comes down and is involved with it. In Genesis 14, uh, when Abram pays ties to this uh, character, this guy named Mel Melchizedek, said he was a priest of God. Was he an actual priest? He could have been. Was it Jesus back then? It could have been. Some scholars believe that that was a Christophany. Genesis 32, Jacob, he wrestles with God. He, this isn't figuratively. He wasn't rolling around on the floor with no one, and he was schizophrenic, but... He wrestled with God. God touched his hip and put it out of socket. Exodus 3.2, out of the burning bush comes the angel of the Lord. It's not just this impersonal flame burning there, but God shows up to uh, Moses there. And the list goes on. That's just Exodus. Saul, the man who was killing the church, who hated the church, God shows up to him. The Lord appears to him. John on Patmos, the disciple, they couldn't kill him as legend goes, so they put him on Patmos to exile him. And he's there praying in the middle of this prison island. And all of a sudden, as he says, he's praying in the spirit. He hears a voice like a trumpet, like rushing waters behind him. And he turns around, and it's Jesus with eyes like flaming fire. And he falls down on his knees as dead. And God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Like, I'm with you. I'm not here to kill you. And this stuff goes on throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture, probably every page if you look. Maybe not in genealogies, but maybe. Because I think even in genealogies, we, see, we saw that God 
is with them. I think that goes to show, I know that goes to show, that God has always been interested in people. There's never been a moment when God has said, I'm done with people. I mean, he kind of said it with the Israelites, and Moses interceded, and it says that God repented, but that's what God wanted to do in the first place. God never, like, does something wrong and has to repent. Even with Noah, when he flooded the whole world, God was still looking. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro through the entire world looking for those. It says that no one's looking for him, but he's looking for us. We're not an afterthought to God. We're not an afterthought. It's like God goes about his day. At the end of the day, he's got 15 minutes left over. And he says, oh, there's my people. Let me go bless my people. And then I'm going to go put on the game or, you know, go make myself a sandwich. His entire thoughts are for us. He knows every hair on our head. He knows us. He's with us. Because he wants us to be his people. He wants you and I to be his children. To be those that we allow him to look after us. We allow him to care for us. We allow him to say, no, 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 that's bad, but don't worry. I've got something better for you. Or come here, my son. Come here, my daughter. I know you're hurting. I know you're in trouble. I know you did something wrong even, but it doesn't matter. Come here. Be with me because I'm with you. I'm for you. And that's what he always intended. He never intended for us to be separate from him. He never intended for us to sin. He knew we would. And he had a plan to deal with that. But he never wanted us to be away from him. We say that this life is too hard. I can't deal with it. I, don't, I can't handle this. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. You can't handle it. You can't deal with it. You can't go through it. You were never designed to. God was always meant to be with you and going through it with you. And in fact, you were never meant to go through it in the first place. It's our fault that we go through some of these things sometimes. And even if it's not our fault, it's just general sin. You know, a lot of times disciples will go, hey, Jesus, why is this guy blind? You know, what did he do wrong? God's like, he didn't do anything wrong. It's for the glory of God. Or just that there's sin in the world, that this is a fallen world we live in. We broke it, and sometimes we step on the broken pieces. Deuteronomy 32, 9 through 12 says, For the Lord's portion is his people. The Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but they don't matter to him. The Lord made all the sparrows, but what does it say? He cares more about you than he cares about the sparrows. He says, Solomon, all his glory, was not clothed as much as these, but God clothes us. God puts a robe of righteousness on us, right? It says that his people, Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in a wasteland, in a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. This was wayward Jacob. He kept him as the apple of his eye, as an eagle stirs up his nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on his wings. So the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. God was the one with him. It wasn't some idol. It wasn't some friend. God was the one that Jacob needed, and Jacob knew that because God showed up for him. And I think, you know, when we love someone or we miss someone, Maybe we carry their picture on them. In the old days, you know, you'd have a wallet and there'd be pictures in it. Nowadays, you have your phone and, you know, when I show pictures of my kids, I'm like, I'm going to be that dad and show you the thousand pictures, but they're all on my phone, they're not my wallet. Because I love them. And if I'm away, I love having those pictures. They're on my computer wallpaper. Now, even when I'm at work and I'm in the faraway land of my basement, I can still remember my kids and I can still see them and my family. You know, if you ever saw that movie Castaway, he had the little locket of his uh, wife, you know, and, or I guess they're, maybe they're engaged, I forget, but... Um, and he's away in that island, and he just opens it up and looks at it and closes it, opens it, looks at it, because 
wanted to be with her. His heart was with her, even though he wasn't physically with her. When we were little, maybe you have a teddy bear. Remember a little teddy bear named Barney, and we lost it. We had to go back to the hotel and get it. Maybe you have a blanket. Well, I don't know what that Charlie Brown character was. It Linus. He always had the blanket, and you walk around with it. You know, that was that's what he had with him. You know, he needed that comfort with him all the times. You know, they talk about comfort food. You know, oh, I need some comfort. You get some food in your belly, like ah, I feel like something's with me. <laughs> and then you eat it too much, and then yeah, you've got something extra with you. <laughs> but when we don't realize that God is with us, when we don't know Him, we tend to cling cling to things that aren't really with us or for us. Maybe you cling to a rosary before you knew the Lord and you had to pray and hold on to this thing and feel it and, you know, well, wait a minute, other religions have that too, so wait a minute. I had a cross necklace before I came to the Lord. I had this, like, cross necklace because I thought God was with me. <laughs> he was with me. He was gracious. But I was, you know, if I don't have this necklace on and I get an accident, you know, like, and then I realized, well, wait a minute, what, what happens if I get an accident like, stabs me in the chest? You know, like, like that would really be with me, you know? I don't, I don't wear cross anymore. I don't want anything to stab me in the chest. I think my airbag hit my eyes, you know? <laughs> Maybe it's better to drive blind. I don't know. <laughs> but people have statues. They don't know that God is with them, so they have a statue to make it feel like God is with them. Or they have a picture on the wall, and I understand it. But it's not a replacement for God. It's not a substitute for God. I forget, uh, I was driving somewhere the other night, and I saw a star on top of a tree. I was like, oh, man, it reminded me of Christmas, and God was with me. And I was like, oh, this is great. I sensed... Like, oh, man, just such the presence of God. I felt myself looking back at the star. And, oh, like, like i got to keep looking at the star or something. And it's like, no, like, that just made me feel further from God. You know, just the one reminder was good enough. But people cling to idols and cling to the law. They've got to have something with us. Even Christians, after we've come to Christ, we cling to other things to have with us. I've been so good at this. I've done this right. I've kept this law and that law, and you're not keeping that law, and you're not keeping that law, but I'm keeping that law. So I've got the law with me to make me feel like I'm okay, and I'm good. But if we really take the law with us, we realize the law is like concrete boots. The law is going to drag us to the bottom of the abyss in hell because on our own strength, we can't keep even one of it. The Bible says if you've broken one of the law, you've broken what? The whole law, exactly. The whole law. The law is not with us. The law was there as a schoolmaster to show you you need somebody with you. But you know what? God is with us. God himself, the one who created the universe. I've been watching these videos about outer space and how they send satellites and just the scale of these things. And they're finding all these other planets off the plane of our, plan our planets and all these things and just how big and how vast it is. And Ashley can attest this, but I'll turn around and I'll go, what are we in? Like, think about it for a minute. Back up for a minute. Zoom out. We're on this thing floating out through the middle of this giant nothing with all these other things floating around there for billions and billions of miles. What on earth are we in? What is this place? You and I, a bunch of collection of chemicals and dirt. What, like, what are we? Like, really? When you sit down and think about it, some scientists consider it like a simulation and all these things. And I began to think of it that way, like, this is just a simulation of reality. Like, yeah, this is real. I'm not trying to take the weight of reality off. But really, compared to heaven, compared to eternity, this is just like the game we play before we actually get there. It's like you're playing a Nintendo game, and then you get to heaven, and you're actually doing the real thing. But what do you mean? God created all this. The God who created all that, the God who understands all that. You know, I read the scripture this morning, something about, oh, Lord, when I think, consider the heavens. What's too, what's too much for you, God? What is too much that God... 
who all of that is like nothing for him. He's just like, whoop, it's in the palm of my hand. Is with you and I. And I think we forget that. I think God goes, you're forgetting that. I'm with you. What are you so worried about? I'm with you. I'm with you. My voice is not with me. My voice wants to go somewhere else. But Jesus said in John 14, 16 20, it says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, and he dwells with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, and you will live also. And at that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. We're one with the Father. That God has given us his Holy Spirit, and we're one with him. We're not God. We're not going to become little gods and rule our own little planets, as some people are out there believe. But he's in us, and we're in him. And if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. And God gave us the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, that we don't need to be walking out this world without comfort. We don't need to walk through this life and not know and not be comforted. It's okay to be sad. The Bible says it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. It's good for the heart to do that. We don't want to be positive all the time and cheery and miss out because then what are we depending on? We're depending on our words. We're depending on our actions. We're not depending on God. And God wants us to cry to him because that's when he comforts us. If we pretend we don't need comfort, how can God comfort us? And if we haven't allowed God to comfort us, how can we then in turn comfort others? You know, God is not mad at you. No matter what you've done, before him, after him, last night, this morning, tomorrow, God's not mad at you. you Maybe a little upset that, man, you're, you're doing these things that are hurting you and hurting others. But he's not mad because wrath leads to judgment. And God's judgment was taken already at the cross. And God only sees the cross, only sees Jesus when he looks at you. Not that he doesn't see you, but he doesn't see your sin because of that. How could he be mad at you if he's taken care of it already? How can he? He can't. He doesn't want to. If he wanted to, we'd have no hope. If God wanted to be mad at us, we would never know. We would just cease to exist and be fired off into oblivion and never would know his love. And that's not what God has for us. But are we in Jesus and him and us? Are we in him? We have to allow him to be. We have to, Holy Spirit lives in us, but we have to say, God, fill me. Overflow me. I need you. I need you. I know I don't feel like I need you. I know I haven't acted like I, like I need you. I know you wouldn't want to come live in this nasty house, but he does. And he gets to clean up. He's like, you don't need this. Get this out of here. You're better than this. You're worth more than this. Oh, you've got a 15-inch TV. I want to give you an 800-inch TV, so to speak. But what more do we need? Why do we need all these other things with us? It's good to have family. It's good to have friends. God provides them with us and uses them in our lives to be with us. But at the end of the day, it's just you. When they're all sleeping, who's going to be with you? It's going to be YouTube. Is it going to be the midnight snack? Maybe. But God will be with you. He says he'll never leave you forsake you. He's closer than a brother. It's interesting. We know that the verse when uh, the side was prophesied with Emmanuel, it comes when Israel was under siege, when they were being attacked. 
And God tells Isaiah to go speak to Ahaz of Judah. It says in Isaiah 7, 10 through 15, it says, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask for a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord, like kind of feigning this humility. And Isaiah said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary God also? Like, God wants to show you something, Ahaz. Like, just let him show you it to you. And so he says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey shall eat, and he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. You know, what does that have to do with the guys attacking us, God? God's with you. God wants to be with you, but you have to be with him. But it says his name will be called Emmanuel. Like, all this stuff is going on, even though you're not really listening to me, even though you've gotten yourself in trouble, God says, now I'm going to tell you about the Messiah to come. At the time when you least expect it, the time when you least deserve it, God says, oh, don't worry. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. Even in the midst of that national trial, that personal struggle, God wanted to give them a message and a sign that God would be with them. It wasn't as like a warrior, but it was as what? A baby would be born. A son. Matthew 1, 18 through 25 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, isn't that great that Joseph was a man of God and he considered what was the right thing to do and he wanted to do right by everybody in the situation and he didn't just rush and act. He waited and said, well, it doesn't look like, I don't think she's been faithful to me. I don't, you know, jo Joseph's first thought is not going to be, oh, it's the Messiah. But he considers these things and, and God sends a message to him. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary or your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took, him to his, took to him his wife. And he did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. So you had probably heard these stories in uh, temple or whatever growing up about Emmanuel, God with us. I'm sure you heard that scripture. All of Israel was looking for the Messiah. All of a sudden, he thinks his wife's gone off and done something awful, or his soon-to-be wife. He's considering it and praying about it, and God shows up in a dream and says, Hey, Joseph, remember those stories from Sunday school? You're in it. I'm with you. God's going to be with you. Call him named Jesus. And Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. That God is salvation. But wait a minute, wait a minute. It's supposed to be called Emmanuel. God is with us. So why wasn't Jesus born Emmanuel? Because God is with us. But in order for God to be with us, he has to save us. God has to save us. And God wanted to be with us to be our salvation. That even in the little things, God wants to be your salvation. I'm not going to pay this $25 bill, Lord. God wants to show you. God wants to provide for you. Maybe that means a job. Maybe that means a gift. I don't know, but God wants to be your salvation. Even if you don't know how it's going to happen, he wants to be the one to be there for you. And that's a small thing. Consider the large things. 
the sin, the weight, the burden, the guilt, the shame. God wants to save you from that. God wants to save you from the judgment. God wants to become those things for you. That when you feel ashamed, instead of feeling ashamed, you can give it to God and receive him instead that we get joy for our mourning. That we got, bring God filth and sadness and brokenness. God takes it and somehow in his economy gives us joy, gives us peace, gives us a hope and a future. Because he wanted us to be with him. He wants to be with us, but he wants us to be with him. He wants us to be reconciled to him, to be close to him. You think about when we have babies, you know, we've been blessed with three babies and, you know, so excited to have them born. The belly grows and every baby, it grows in a different way. It's like definitely a different kid in there. Um, but when they're born, we welcome them in our family, right? Oh, come here, little one. I love you. Don't worry. Don't be, don't be, don't cry. We give them a name. They get our last name. They come home with us. The whole house gets changed for them. You put pads everywhere. You lock up the doors, you, you know. You, whatever it is to prepare for the arrival of these little ones because you, you welcome them in our family. You want to care for them. You want them to be with us. You don't want to just leave them somewhere else. And sadly, there are babies who are left elsewhere or are left. But God doesn't want that for us. And, and because we love our children, we don't do that. But it's interesting that when Jesus was born, God became part of the human family. We didn't quite welcome him. He was born in a manger. Uh, Herod tried to kill him. You know, he had all these trials growing up, and especially when he revealed, was revealed to be God. You know, ultimately we crucified him. We didn't want him to be with us, but God became part of the human family to save us. You know, he walked with us. He talked with us. And that's a miracle. That's a miracle that God would be come down to be with us. We have all these other uh, miracles that Jesus talked about, like a wedding in Cana where, you know, he turned the water to wine, he healed a paralytic man, but the first thing he did was forgive him. He says, well, to prove that, I can forgive this guy. Get up and walk and go home. He raised that little girl back to life, said, Talitha Kumi, come back. Wake up, little girl. Come to me. Lazarus, his best friend, dies. Where were you, Jesus? If you were here, my brother wouldn't, wouldn't have died. Jesus weeps. Brings me, brings me to him. Oh, my friend Lazarus. These people, they're hurting. Death is real. Lazarus, come forth. Dead guy comes back to life. That's amazing. If that happened right now, we'd, you know, we'd all be a little worried, I think. But the real miracle is that God was with us. And that's the miracle the world wants to erase. The world likes all the other stories. You know, they don't even like the manger now. They're trying to erase a baby in a manger because that's the miracle, that God was with us. It was an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs, the healing miracles described by the Gospels, definition of miracles. An extremely outstanding or unusual event, the thing or accomplishment, the bridge is a miracle of engineering. Now, God, it's a miracle that this would happen. It's a miracle that you and I even exist, let alone God would be with us. That God holds everything together. The fact that we even continue to breathe and move and the universe doesn't completely fall apart is a miracle. Even the Gospels say that it's, there were too many things to be written down. But the whole world couldn't contain the scroll, as the song says, of the wonderful things God did. But there's also another miracle. John 3, 3 through 8 says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his uh, mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Um, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You know, the miracle is that when God was born, that he would grow up and die, that we might be born again into God's family. God was born into our family only that we might be born again into his family. And that's a miracle. It's one thing for God to do something amazing and and come down to earth, but for him to do something where he takes us and puts us in his family, I think that's a bigger miracle, that God would die and put us in his family. A miracle to say that you're a king and you're a priest forever. You have a throne, you have crowns, you're seated in the heavenly places. Seriously? You don't have to see the other places. The Bible says that the prophets were just like us. They were men given to, to like passions. And Elijah prayed, and it didn't rain. And he was just like us. And we get up and we wonder, is God with me? I'm not like those guys. They're holier than I am. Well, maybe. Maybe they've been a little more sanctified. Maybe they were, you know, a little more. But as we're seeing with Abram, he wasn't always the father of faith. 75 when he left. How long did it take him? And then all these other things happened. It wasn't until later that you see that, yeah, he, he began to get it. He began to have faith. When God sees you and I, he doesn't see us as a failure. He doesn't see us as a fraud or whatever we think we are. He sees us as he wants us to be, as he's made us to be. He says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take you from where you are and bring you to where you need to be. Because we're welcome with God. He welcomes us with open arms. There's never a time when you and I, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that we can't come to him. Oh yeah, if we come to him and we're unwilling to admit our sin and deal with our sin, he's going to go, well, we've got something to deal with first. You know, I, I can't share these good things with you until we deal with this first. But as soon as you deal with it, it's okay. And even when you come to deal with him, he's not going to beat you. He's going to hold you close. He's going to come for you. He may have to hold you close and Thank you a little bit or take something out of your life. But he's still going to hold you close. He's not going to hold you far off. And we're always welcome with God. Always. I think sometimes we feel like we're not. Sometimes we feel like we can't worship him. God says, worship me. I'll take care of it. I'll deal with it. And when we do, we see that he is with us. Even when we feel far from him, He's close to us. He says, the Bible says they left the right eye to seek the one, right? That one felt like he was far away from God, but the whole time God was seeking him out. He didn't have to do anything. God knew he was gone and came after him. Romans eight thirty one through 39 says, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us, prays for us in our place. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? 
As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can't be separated from him. Can't be separated from his love. Even if we don't believe in him, his love is still pursuing us. The only thing that separates us is, is eternity. Is if we don't choose him in this life, we're apart from him. Romans 5, 6 through 11, 15 says, For when we are still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we're uh, still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For even if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been uh, reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And it goes on and says, But the free gift is not like the offense. What God gives us in return for what we've done wrong, it's not the same. It's not equal. What God gives us, it's not like we sin and, and God forgives us equal amount. It's like he forgives us as far as the east is from the west. He wipes it out completely gone. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God, and by the gift of grace the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. That God wanted nothing more than to be with us, even if it cost him his own life, even if it costed his son's life, even if it meant he'd be separated from his father. He wanted us to be with him. He wanted us to be with him. And like we saw, he showed up over and over throughout the Bible, throughout history. But those were only visits. He would show up, and then you wouldn't see him for a little while. I'm not saying that maybe he was doing something else, but we don't see something going on in Scripture. He came as a baby, and he lived and died with us, and he rose again, and Mary in the garden was trying to cling to him. He's like, don't cling to me yet. I've got to go back to heaven, right? Prepare a place for you. And even though he rose again, like I said, his physical time on earth was only temporary because the ultimate plan, the ultimate goal was not temporary. It was not once a week. It was not a Sunday morning. It was not a Wednesday night but it was 24-7 for all of eternity that we would be with him forever. And not here, not stuck in some earthly kingdom with tears and pain and sorrow and work and taxes and debt and trouble, but in heaven where those things aren't anymore. Luke 23, 39-42 says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged next to Jesus on the cross blasphemed him saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. He was. You know, this guy thought he was mocking Jesus, but he's actually doing that. He's saving them. But the other answer rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? Like, isn't this punishment enough to get you to realize that you're messed up? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, Lord remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Not today you get to go to heaven and you get a seat in the back, but today you, sinner, dying for your sins, can never do anything to make up for it, who just realized who I am hanging next to you, dying for you, even though you're still dying, you're going to be with me. You and I will be together just a few hours before the day is over. 
We'll be together in heaven. Can you imagine the comfort of that? I have no idea what it feels like to be on a cross. I can barely handle like a hangnail or a paper cut. And yet on that cross, there was comfort for this man who did wrong his entire life and earned himself the death penalty. He knew, oh, this is going to be over soon. I'm going to be in heaven. Be with God. I'm forgiven. Maybe you and I aren't on the cross, so to speak, physically, knowing that we might die in a couple hours because blood loss and nails in us and they're going to break our legs because so we can't breathe. Or maybe there's something else that's nailing you. Maybe there's something else that's burdening you. And maybe you don't even realize it, that it's with you. That it's in the place of God, that maybe it's something you've done and it's just a weight. Or maybe it's a, you think God is mad at you. He's not. He's with you. You can give it to him. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to make up for it. You don't have to put something else there. You don't have to cling to that thing that you're clinging to so hard because you're afraid you're going to lose your life if you let it go. Let it go. I won't sing it, but let it go. Because it's Christmas. In Christmas time of year, we can let go of all the burdens and weights. and It really is the most wonderful time of the year. Because God is with us when we remember that he's with us, that he was a little baby in the manger. We have that beautiful story and the, the star and the wise men and the, all the animals. If you never knew that, know that. If you know that, believe it. If you believe it, keep believing it. That he's with you. Because whatever you're going through, he'll go through it. Whatever's coming your way, he'll be there. He's not going to stop. He doesn't give up on you. He's not like us where we're fickle and we're fair weather. He's with us even when the storm's blowing. He's walking on the water. I talked about it a couple weeks ago. Peter's like, Jesus, let me come out of the water to you. And Jesus says, okay. <laughs> Peter gets out there and he fails. Jesus, save me. Jesus says, come on, Peter. <laughs> and he get in the boat. And I don't know that, you know, Peter was supposed to even get out of the boat. I mean, Peter wanted to, and maybe that was a good thing. But Jesus was just coming to them. He's like, you don't have to do anything. I'm going to walk out here in the middle of the water. You don't have to turn around and come back and get me. I'm going to come and get you. And when I get in the boat with you, you're going to be where you need to be. And I'm with you. The storm's gone. When I'm with you, the hurt's gone. Advil's good. I'm glad God invented chemicals and we've discovered them. And they work, but deeper than that, he's the one who hears the hurt of our soul. Look at our world and all the things we have, all the painkillers, all the counseling, all the drugs, all the connected ways we can be connected with everybody. And the world's going crazier and crazier. They don't have the one thing with them. We always have to have our phones with you. Have Jesus with you. Don't leave your phone at home. I mean, it's like, it's a miracle. Like, don't try and be more spiritual. Leave your phone at home. Bring it. You know? God's like, you, you know, your car breaks down in the middle of nowhere. And you're like, I didn't bring my phone. Just trying to be spiritual. And God's like, I gave you a phone for a reason. <laughs> I'll still help you, but come on. <laughs> you know, figure out, you know, 
There's a balance there, but God is with you. Allow him to be. Sometimes we don't allow him. For whatever reason, allow him to. It's okay. He wants to. Stop begrudging. Oh, I got to wash your feet again. They stink. No, just come here. Give me your feet, please. I love you. If you don't know him, know him. He loves you. He cares for you. Even if you feel abandoned. He hasn't abandoned you. It just feels like that. It's just the chemicals in your body. It's just your brain. It's just the enemy. It's just the world. It's just yourself. He's with you. He's right here. can't see him, but he's here. If you believe in him, he's in you. Even if it doesn't look like he's around you, you know, you're at the DMV. It doesn't look like God's here at all. He is. He's in you. You don't have to make yourself right. You can't. Just let him. Let him. He is with us. And this Christmas, I hope that that's the miracle that we remember. That he's with us. Yeah, we can't wait for those gifts to be with us, right? (laughs) Especially when you're little. But he's with us. Amen? Amen? God, we thank you that you're with us and that you go with us no matter where we go, the highest of heights or the bottom of the ocean and the depths of despair or um, the extreme joy of having a baby or whatever it is that gives us joy in this life, you're with us. You sing over us, you rejoice over us, and you also cry with us. You collect our tears in a bottle. The Bible, like we saw, says that you intercede for us, that you pray for us, that you don't just pray for us and put your hand out and say, God bless you, brother. You get down and you weep and you cry and you're broken that we might know that you're with us. Even if our prayers don't get answered the way we think, doesn't mean that you're not with us. We thank you, God, that you're not relying on us. You don't rely on our logic. Your thoughts are greater than our thoughts and your way is greater than ours. So God, let us look to you this Christmas. Be with us this week and this day. God, if you don't return, come soon, we pray. We really want you to be with us and be with you. But as this week, as we go through what we're about to go through, let us remember that you're with us and, and not be afraid. Because if you're for us, who can be against us? Thank you, God. We love you because you love us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.